Tampa Bay's Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Terry Tunes presents... The real great adventures of me, Tom Terrific, with Mighty Manfred the Wonder Dog. We must guard this pearl at all costs. Ahoy! There's a strange boat approaching. Suffering salmon cakes. It's Krabby Appleton, the meanest villain that ever villed. If I know him, I'd better hide this pearl. My name is Crabby Appleton, and I am simply awful. It titillates my funny bone to do a deed unlawful. I'm fond of gloom, impending doom. I think good deeds are sappy. I laugh with glee, it pleases me when everyone's unhappy. What's that I see? Why, it's Tom Terrific, and he's happy about something. Oh, I can't stand little boys when they're happy, especially Tom Terrific. I'll sneak up closer and see if I can spoil his fun. Ha! 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 Dragon has the pearl, and those dog 
will keep Tom terrific, stupid dog busy until I get the pearl. <laughs> I have a great original idea. I'll turn into a giant and peek over the top of this hole. Scratch! <coughs> the feeble widget ratchet is riffled. I'll have to go get a frankincense. It's Krabby Appleton. He's coming back. What'll I do? doesn't like me anymore. It doesn't like me. <laughs> ha ha! Crabby Appleton, it was me all the time. I changed into a copy of your machine to fool you, and I fixed your sea dragon too. What? Let me go. I invented you. Let me go. I get even next time we meet, Tom Terrific. I'm Tom Terrific, greatest hero ever. Terrific is the name for me, cause I'm so clever. I can be what I want to be. And if you'd like to see, follow, come follow me. If you see a plane on high, a diesel train go roaring by, a bumblebee or a tree, it's me. When there is trouble, I'm there on the double from Atlantic to Pacific. They know I'm terrific. Uh, 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 I'm Mighty Manfred, the Wonder Dog, and Tom's ever faithful companion. Hey there, this is John Oates, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run new computers and Google TanTalk1340.com and see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, go to our archive page where you can go back and listen to all 460. I'm going to guess 68 shows now, right, Bobby? Good evening, Tommy. How you doing? Tommy's over there. In the I've been better. You've been better. Bobby's in the back there. Bobby, I guess we We've have... We've both been better. <laughs> We've both been better. Our computers don't seem to be want to be cooperating this evening. I guess we have... Uh, Mother Nature is out there kind of messing with us again. So, uh, unfortunately, we didn't do our usual intro that we normally do. But, anyway, uh, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to segue right into the... Uh, Bobby, you coming in the studio here? Okay. So, uh, we'll segue into the... Uh, flacarshows.com and uh, if you want to find out what's going on in the state of Florida as far as car shows you visit the website flacarshows.com and you can find out what's going on in northern Florida, southern Florida, eastern Florida, western Florida, and Bobby Florida, someplace in central, central Florida. Oh yeah, central Florida because that's where you're hanging out yeah. there at UCF. Yeah. University of Central Florida. Yeah. 
So what's uh, what's uh, here what's we up? are. Here Hello. we are. Anything uh, anything interesting? Anyway, this past weekend we'll be yeah, having. You know, we, it's kind of kind of slow in the summer, so. Uh, if you want to find out your neighborhood shows, flacarshows.com. That's it. That's pretty much it. Okay. So uh, they, and of course, you know, the big thing up in Orlando is Ace Cafe. That's mm-hmm. where everybody t- sends, tends to go because that's where all the action is. And it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. Of course, for us, this past weekend, we had the DuPont Registry Cars and Coffee, which started relatively early. And I managed to make it to the Dimmit Cars and Coffee because they have those tasty little things with chocolate icing on them and little holes in them They're called Krispy Kreme Donuts. And I love Krispy Kreme Donuts, so I went down there. And I kind of hung out, and it's kind of like the usual hangout and you do your thing. And then I was uh, came home and I worked on uh, stuff around the house and did my honeydew list and then uh, so on and so on and so on. Yesterday we had a kind of an interesting day because it's been raining quite a bit, so we really haven't had a chance to get much stuff. But I went down to, uh, with my buddy... Um, Brian, if he's tuned in, and Brian and I decided to go to MG, uh, to MG, to Glenn's MG, because Brian has this little three-wheel, little kind of like, uh, well, it's not a mail car, but at one point in time, what it was, was a um, meter-made vehicle. You know, those little three-wheel meter-made vehicles? Okay, so he's got some trick wheels on it and stuff, and he's having it kind of custom that. But the gear ratio in that thing is so bad, it's so tall, or I shouldn't say tall, steep, short, 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 short. So it's like really, it winds up real quick. So he's looking for another rear end. So we decided to go down to Glen's MG and figure we can find something out, some sort of British car that would be narrow enough to mount in there. And uh, we weren't able to find anything as narrow as we thought we could find. So in the meantime, we dug up this uh, rear end that we had laying around that we used it when we boned out a, an MGB. And that turned out to be too wide, too. But anyway, so while we were in the process and I was down there, I was kind of wrenching on some parts. And uh, what I did is uh, I was working on this MGB GT, and the window was up. And, as, and you know, everybody that works on cars, you know, there's always these, uh, it's, it's, sometimes it's a war zone, you know, because if you're not paying attention, you know, your cars will tend to attack you. So what happened was is uh, <laughs> I was working uh, on getting some little knickknacks out of the inside of this car, and I don't know, something distracted me. But when I turned back around, I forgot that the door glass was up on the MGB, and I went, come on! And I just jammed my my mouth into the uh, door glass, and next thing I know, I'm bleeding blood. And I actually have a black and blue. I look like somebody punched me out. The good news is the camera's far enough away. In here. Yeah, the good news is the camera's far enough away, and you can't tell that I got a black and blue mark on my on my on my lower lip here. And then and then to make matters worse, I was over at, uh, at a friend's place, and we were scrambling around in the trailers, and I was trying to check on some parts, and. There's kind of like the vines kind of grow up around this thing. So you know how vines are. They kind of tend to like reach out and grab you. And this thing looked like Jack and the Beanstalk. So what I did is I was crawling up there to get in the back of this trailer. And my foot snagged the, uh, now I should say it like this. The Jack and the Beanstalk reached out and grabbed me yeah. and uh, threw me inside the trailer. I didn't it, read that part of the story. You didn't read that part of the, wasn't, isn't that in the script? Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> as I yeah. fell down inside and I just like plastered all over these junk transmissions are laying back there. And I peeled a whole bunch of skin off my arm and next thing I'm bleeding like a stuck pig. But hey, that's, uh, you know, it's called occupational hazards. And then while we were down there, Glenn's MGs, we were talking to our buddy down there. And, uh, you know, if you look at my arms, my arms are all kind of like blotched up and everything like that. Because over the years when I was working at the salvage yard, and you know this because you watch me all the time, and I'd be cutting a car apart with a torch. I didn't use gloves or anything like that. We just cut it and then, you know, slags flying all the place and sparks and this and that. And they're landing in your head, burning your hair and singeing your skin on your, your hair on your arms and burning holes in your arms. And, 
you know, it's just, hey, you're a tough guy. You can put up with it. No big deal. And that's just what happens. And uh, now here we are, you know, and, and, and no different than picking up transmissions and engine blocks and throwing all this stuff around. So you just really abuse your body. So here you are, you know, you're 50, 60 years old, and you're going, oh, the pain, the pain, you know, it's just because we just totally abuse ourselves. So where I'm going? So with, on this episode of Nostalgic Medical and Cars, Nostalgic <laughs> 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 Medical, yeah, uh, my good buddy IG, Doctor IG is probably listening. He's probably saying, "Well, now I have a remedy for that. We can put the, we can uh, we can put this ointment on you and this salve on you and take these vitamins and drink plenty of fluids and call me in the morning, right? And something like that." But um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, you know, so uh, you, you, you don't. So think, all the shows here are at least. <laughs> yeah, all the shows here. Yeah, right. Um, so you know, you, you don't you don't think about that stuff, you know, and um, uh, but your mind, your mind, your mind still says I can do this, but your body says, huh, no, wait a minute here, you can't uh, you can't pick up uh, three hundred pound engine blocks and uh, one hundred fifty pound trust. But in fact, a little while ago when I was over at uh, Brian's, I was lifting the rear end out of the van by myself. Now, granted, it's an MGB rear end, so it's not like it's a heavy 9-inch or something like that, but it is a little mini spicer. And, of course, you know, you just, uh, you know, lifting, there's an art to lifting. If you don't lift right, you know, you can hurt yourself, and my back but you, hurts. But you know what I just thought of? What did you just think of? You can sleep really good on a pillow from Bill Cochran. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just give uh, <laughs> yes. Uncle Bill here a plug <laughs> on my pillow? I mean, pillow. <laughs> promo code Bill. MyPillow.com. Promo code Bill. I agree. Bill, you got the best night's sleep in the whole wide world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So after I take get done taking an Epsom salts bath later today, then uh, probably what I'll need is I'll need one of those my billows. Matter of fact, I'll need a whole bunch of my billows so I can lay there in pain. Well, you didn't hear our end of the the last show or of Bill's show when we were talking about it. they make like the bed size one. You can just be travel pillow. It's just a bed that walks with you essentially oh and then you just roll it yeah, kind so of you can just and, go oh, out in that, that little trailer in the junkyard there and just curl up in your right. yeah 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 you know uh let's see any swap meets coming well the big thing next month of course and we're only three weeks away and commencing next week we're going to uh, start featuring some of the people that are involved in some of the events on the monterey collective car week so monterey collective car week is next week and again i say this every almost every other show i guess you know got to go to Scottsdale, you've got to go to Amelia Island, you got to go to Monterey Collector Car Week, and you got to go to SEMA. Because if you're a car guy, those are the four major events. Not I've never you, heard you say that before. You've never heard me say no, that before? Never. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> once in a while I do. You know. Um, but at any rate, so Monterey Collector Car Weeks, and of course, you know, you got all the auctions, you got uh, Legends of the Autobahn, you got the Little Car Show, you got the Works Reunion, which is for all the Porsche guys, uh, you got the Concorso Italiana for the Italian cars, and it all leads up to the spectacular pebble beach but there's two other events that are really really cool there and that's mccall's motorworks revival and the quail lodge or the quail uh um motorsports gathering quail a motorsports gathering i think i said it right that time so we're gonna have some people on um, from pebble beach we're gonna have some people on from the quail we're gonna have some people on from uh, uh legends of the autobahn perhaps and um maybe a good friend ray from uh, porsche classic will come on we'll talk a little bit about uh the uh porsche works reunion now, probably in his fifth year now, and uh, I think it started in 15, so 15, 16, 17, he's yeah, fourth year anyway. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Well, yeah, fifth year. 15 to the, yeah, something like that. Wow, look at this. I count with my fingers. Okay. Ah, look at that. Look at that. See, so, you know, I have a calculator right yes, here. On this we, no, 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 no. No, 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 but we have to use our yes, fingers. So yes. I have 10 fingers. Five and five is 10, right? Because nostalgic radio cars, we do everything. Manual, an, an, analog, analog. Yeah, we do everything analog. So, 
Uh, the adding well, machine, maybe. The adding machine. Yeah, okay, you so have to bring that in. Right, you. right, 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 right. So uh, we got a very special guest coming on a little bit later tonight, and uh, we were trying to put together our legends of the summer, and it just so happens that, uh, which is you know, it's kind of weird. We had uh, uh, Bird Stevens was that her name? Yes. Bird, okay, Bird Stevens on. We had we did Jim Morrison's um, Clearwater. Yeah, the Legends of Summer has been interesting. We, uh, we've made it a little different from last year. It's not so much, you know, here's a musician, uh, but it's more, we're branching out. We got the musicians, we have the, the authors, and there are people who've, you know, taken the history records of all these different types of We had of Tom on, and we talked a little bit about, yep. uh, you know, his experience over there in NASA. So it's kind of like a yeah. local kind of thing, you know? And uh, so the gentleman that's coming on a little bit is a uh, well-known recording artist and a founding member of a band, which I'll tell you in a little bit. But one of the songs, a couple of the songs that he did were kind of um, top 40 hits in the country. And two of the songs, I used to listen to all the time when I was going to school, when I lived in Largo. <laughs> <laughs> almost slipped. I almost said Larghetto. No, I just... <laughs> anyway. But there's a beautiful barbecue place in Largo. In Largo called at 426 West Bay Drive, okay. which is oh, called... The Rib Shack. Rib Shack. And today is uh, Rib Shack Tuesday, right? Yep. So for Rib Shack every day if you want to make it that we, we encourage you to make it every day. Absolutely. So it's really easy. Now remember, if you think cars, 426. Think cars. 426 as in 426 Hemi, 426 Elephant Motor. Uh, what else? Okay, well, yeah, like we talked about cars. We talked about parts. Uh, don't forget if you need a, an appraisal, a diminished value. Um, if about you falling need, on yeah, parts. If you need some parts, yeah, because we're brokering some parts here and there. You know, I mean, I've got friends of mine that have connections of all kinds of stuff. So whether you need Ford parts, Chevy parts, GM parts, whether you need trim rings, whether you need engine parts, whether you need valve covers, whether you need uh, brake parts for a 1992 Lexus ES300, we... I should say hub and bearing parts. We can provide wiper blades. We can even get you wiper blades. So, yeah. you know, just go through our happy little website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, and we'll be glad to sit there and uh, procure you automotive parts, whether they're contemporary or classic. And, of course, if you need a car, we can do that for you, too, because we can go to the auction, or we can walk up to any one of the dealers here locally, go to the uh, sales managers and say, we have a gentleman here, or we have a lady here, or we have a person here who would like to buy a pre-owned car with a certified pre-owned warranty. Um, what or a diminished value report, because oh. you may be owed money. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your crash car. Oh, yeah, the other thing we forgot to mention, too, is we didn't even know this. We found this out Saturday, but the uh, or Friday, is uh, the Florida Automobile dis ah. uh, wait a minute, Dismantlers and Recyclers Convention was held right here in our own backyard at the Sheraton Sand Key. So Bobby and I decided to pay them a visit. We went over there Friday night, you know, kind of bumped into some people we knew from some of the other automotive uh, dealer association franchises. So the guys from IAA yeah. were there. The guys from uh, Instavin were there. Oh, or, very, very good expo. Yeah, it's a very good expo. And uh, so, you know, the, the salvage yard business is evolving. I mean, it's state of the art. It's not like typical junkyard, junkyard kind of the way it was when I ran it, when I was in the business, which I was actually in the tail end of it when it was a lot of fun, when you can just, you know, it's a junkyard, you know. You just ran like a junkyard and had junkyard parts and you'd go out there and, you know, we had it. You went out and you hunted it down. It was kind of like a... 
kind of like a uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? You know, like a treasure find. You know, like a treasure. What's that word? Scavenger hunt. Scavenger hunt. That's it. Yeah. So you know, you go out there and you find something. You know, it's really interesting too because a lot of the junk cars that we get, you know, there might be it might be a Ford or a Chevrolet or a Chrysler, but you never know what was in the trunk of the car because the guy might have had other cars and other parts, and and the part was just loaded up and he moved and he relocated and the car got picked up or the car got impounded or whatever. I mean, stories are endless. And uh, but you know you might find some pretty cool stuff. I remember I was over in Tampa one time and I was looking in the trunk of a Mopar, a Valiant, and there was 390 GT uh, Ford heads in there. And I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. Naturally, I picked them up back in the day. So I think there was even a set of GT exhaust manifolds in there. Anyway, uh, I think what we're going to do is we're going to fire up the stereo. Is that uh, little gizmo, electronic gizmo, working now, Tommy? Okay. So now we're going to play a song, and it's called. Uh, Karmic Dream Sequence Part 1 And it's by a band called Millennium And this is 1969 It was like a band was around for a very short period of time But it's kind of a cool song And we're going to go back to 1969 During the psychedelic era So you tune into Nostalgic Game Cards Don't Touch a Doll We will be right back with our special guest In a little bit Some money after 911 and 411. Call 541. That's 727 541 1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727 541 1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle and visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Now, if you listen to our show a lot, we generally play bumpers when we come back from a song. As our, many radio shows do. Yeah, like most radio shows do, right. So we have various sound effects. So the sound effects are generally relevant to the show, the theme of the show, the topic of the show, and the guests of the show. So if we're talking about racing, let's say drag racing or hot rods, we'll have kind of like that, you know, drag, rah, 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 yeah, a drag car coming through the pits. Uh, motorcycles, we'll have motorcycle sound effects, airplanes, airplane sound effects, boats, boat sound effects. But since we have a musician coming on this evening, we're going to play musical sound effects, correct, Bobby? Is that the right word? Am I saying that right? The bumper, the back? Sure. 
Sure. <laughs> okay. Actually, you had to write the first time. Right? I, had, I had to write the first time? Is yes. it bumpers? Bump, bumpers good. Bumpers, bumpers good? good? Bumpers good. Okay. So, anyway. Because um, we deal with bumpers here, so. We deal with bumpers here, yes. <laughs> and that, what we need to do is we need to find that bumper thing from Bill, right? Is that the what we're looking for? Rear end bumper. The rear end bumper. Okay. So, um, but there was a lot of really cool bands. It's in the mid-60s, there was a lot of. Uh, it was kind of like a really cool time. I mean, a lot of this, a lot of the early bands were influenced by blues. Okay, um, a lot of the rock and roll stuff out of the fifties. You know, the Everly Brothers, uh, um, Chuck Berry. You know, that was kind of like early stuff. Elvis Presley, naturally, uh, early rock and roll stuff. Bobby Darin. You know, it was kind of good, easygoing music. Then we had the surf music. You know, which was really cool, which I dig. You know, growing up in Northern California, I was exposed to a lot of that. And then we the Beatles, you know, the British Invasion, and they had a style of music. And uh, and the British Invasion, I mean, a lot of the guys you talked to that were involved in, in music back in those days were influenced by um, blues, okay? So whether it's the Eric Clapton's of the world, the Jeff Beck's of the world, um, Eric Burden's of the world. Bobby, you can help out here if you want to help oh, chime yes, in. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> social media is a big job here. <laughs> social media. Okay, so anyway, having said that, you know, and the, when when the music um, uh, started getting bigger and bigger, a lot of kids, myself included, were influenced by that. And we thought, hey, look, you know, this is kind of cool. Let's, uh, you know, play guitar or let's practice piano or take up drums. And when I grew up in Northern California, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the kids in the neighborhood were playing musical instruments. And uh, piano was the first thing that most kids played, went to. Guitar was a little bit more difficult. Some people went to uh, um, what's the uh, wind instruments, so that would be yes. bugles and saxophones and things of that nature. Um, most of your schools had bands, you know, like high, uh, grade school bands, you know, like what's the word? Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah high school bands. Okay, yeah. high school bands and grade school bands and stuff like that, you know, because they played. Uh, a lot of us that uh, went to church were in choirs, okay? Back in those days, we actually had music classes, and, you know, the teachers generally played an instrument, and some of them played the flute, some of them played the guitar, some of them played piano. And, of course, we went to Catholic school, so, you know, we, it's all about music. And uh, so, you know, the kids were influenced by that. So a lot of kids in the neighborhood, you know, if they weren't in the cars, weren't in the climbing trees or sports or something like that, music was the thing. So a lot of the neighborhood kids had older brothers and sisters that actually played musical instruments. So it wasn't uncommon to have what they called garage bands. So somebody in there had a guitar, somebody had a set of drums, could have had a keyboard, and, uh, you know, maybe a bass guitar, you know, multiple instruments. So when the older brothers and sisters weren't necessarily in the garages, us kids, us younger brothers and sisters, um, would go in there and kind of play monkey around with those musical instruments. We wouldn't damage anything, but we would play. And that's how we kind of got, or we'd hang around and watch them play, and that's how we were influenced. Obviously, records, we had that back in the day. You didn't have all this electronic stuff that you guys got today. We had the good old stuff, like records, <laughs> 45s and 78s and, uh, you know, albums, if you could afford. I mean, a record back in those days, a 45 record was uh, about 45 cents. You know, 40, 50 cents is what I call it. An album was maybe two bucks, buck 98 or something like that, you know. Um, so would you, if you had a record player in your bedroom, you're building your plastic models, your AMT kits, your monogram kits, your Ravel kits, and you're listening to a record of a band. Could have used a cart machine earlier here in the show. Could have used So anyway, having said that, uh, since we're going to segue into music, I think what we're going to do right now is we're going to go ahead and fire up the stereo again. Now, the song we're going to play here in a minute is uh, 
called Grab On by a band called Krabby Appleton. And when I lived over in, when I was in eighth grade, that song, they actually had two songs back then that were three that were actually real popular. One was called uh, Go Back, that which came out in 69. And then you'd hear that, it would get some airtime. Grab On got a lot of airtime and then little and then Lucy. And uh, so we're going to play, I think, Grab On, right? That's what we got? Okay, it's by Krabby Appleton. But anyway, don't touch that dial. We'll be back in a few minutes. And Tom's going to play a full two minutes of this song, I think. And, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to go to our little uh, skit that we usually do, and then we're going to have our guests on the air, right? I like so it. don't touch that dial. We'll be right back, and you're tuning to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Saturday afternoon American Bandstand. Hello there. It seems like we've been doing this thing before. I'm so happy to have you with us on a Saturday. 
wanted to hear from American Bandstand, we got some great music and a couple of surprises along the way, so come on in. Hello, this is Brian Johnson of ACDC, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is a songwriter, a recording artist, and the founder of the legendary rock band, Krabby Appleton. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Michael Finley. Michael, how are you doing this evening? I'm fine, thanks, Robert. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. So, did you catch the... The uh, evolution of American Bandstand there. There was like the early 50s version of it, then the 60s version, and then the 70s version. Now, you were there, when, 69, 70? Is that when you were on Bandstand? Uh, 1970, although I watched Bandstand when I was a little kid. Oh, I mean, okay. that was sort of my introduction to rock and roll to some, in some ways. And so I watched Bandstand and saw the old, uh, you know, uh, early 60s artists, late 50s artists on there. And uh, Dick Clark, Dick Clark never aged. You know, when we were on in 1970, he pretty much looked the same. It was astounding. So, what was it like then? You, as a as a young child, watching the TV show, and then ultimately, you and your band live on national TV on American Bandstand. What was that like? What was going through your mind? Uh, well, it was taped. Uh, it felt live because when those red lights go on on the cameras, uh, you know, you take a big gulp. <laughs> but uh, it was taped. Um, it was surreal. Um, I mean, you know, I played in bands and I played live a bunch. And uh, I don't think I'd done any TV performances of note other than uh, a UHF Battle of the Bands back in New Jersey when I was a teenager. But uh, it was surreal, and just the whole atmosphere, I mean, being on American Bandstand and meeting Dick Clark, and he came up and interviewed us, and we were, we, <laughs> we were stammering. We didn't really know what to say. We were not very well prepared. But uh, the whole thing was very dreamlike. Uh, it was also cool. You know, it was exciting. <laughs> now, when you're on Bandstand, do you play one song, two songs, you know, like one set, two set? How do they typically work it out? I mean, and, and how's it, can I kind of give, give us an idea of how that uh, the whole show goes out? It's an hour show, right? Uh, you know, it may be, or I think it was at the time. Uh, we did uh, two songs and an interview in between. Okay. And uh, we lip-synced, uh, because that's all you did then on Bandstand. There was no live performance, so you had to pretend you were doing it. And we tried to, uh, you know, pretend as well as we could. Um, but you do a song, and then Dick Clark comes up and puts a microphone in your face and asks questions. And, uh, you know, I think that artists today are probably better schooled, prepared, prepped for that kind of thing. We were just there, and here's Dick Clark asking us questions. We had no idea what they were going to be. And the uh, there's a YouTube uh tape of that bandstand performance, including the interview, and I think you can get a sense for just how sort of taken aback we are as uh, Dick Clark's interviewing us. Some, some people say they don't notice that we're nervous as can be, but I sure do. Now, when, uh, they, when, when Dick Clark interviews you, do you, are you like, uh, do you do a pre-interview? Do you have any idea what he's going to ask you, or is it just like uh, pot luck? None. Maybe they changed that at some point, but no, we had no idea what he was going to say. Wow. None. So they, so he. It was, 
was really uh, kind of riveting. But but the whole atmosphere of the thing was was terrific. I mean, here we are on American Bandstand, and you know that as you're uh, miming your song, uh, it's going out to millions of people, and that was uh, you know a great sensation. So it's fair to say then that exposure on American Bandstand did a lot for your career at the time, and your band. Oh, I think it helped a lot. I mean, we had a record that was climbing up the charts, and go back, and uh, then that uh, appearance on Bandstand was early on in that climb, and uh, it helped. You know, it helped fuel the fire of uh, the popularity of that record where it was popular. So yeah, it was it was a, a big. Uh, in the butt for us. Okay. Well, I moved to Florida from California in 1971, or and so when I was in school, the song that got a lot of airplay here on WLCY in Clearwater, Florida, was "Grab On" and "Lucy." So "Grab On," I think you told me was was only a 45. It wasn't on your first album, which was Crabby Appleton, and your second album, which was uh, "Rotten to the Core." Correct. It's true that we did that in between the records, in between the albums, and. Uh, when we did our second album, it was with a new producer, and so we just sort of did it all anew and didn't include uh, Grab On uh, on the record. Um, but Grab On didn't get a lot of play nationally. I mean, had it been uh, a record that it got a lot of attention, we probably would have kept it on uh, the second album, but it didn't get a lot of attention. I'm kind of surprised that you're as familiar with it as you are, because... Uh, for the most part, I think that one was kind of a secret record. Okay, so take us through the process a little bit. When when you're working with your record producer and you guys are putting together an album, how do you determine whether you're going to have so many songs on an album, which songs are going to be an album, and then which song might only be, because I've heard this before, just strictly a 45 and then a flip side? Well, uh, I don't think that we had, uh, in my experience, uh, I didn't do any uh, songs that were only 45s, with the exception of Grab On, which just happened to be sort of a timing thing. Okay. Uh, I was pretty fortunate. The, the first recording experience I had was with a group called The Millennium, and I was just a member of that band. That wasn't my band, per se. Uh, I was one of five singer-songwriters in that band, and so uh, I had uh, some songs... Uh, uh, that I did or contributed greatly to on that record, along with uh, songs that I did not. Uh, so I didn't have a lot to say about what happened there. Uh, but in Krabby Appleton's records and my solo records thereafter, I was fortunate that I was pretty much able to come in with the material that I had and that I wanted to do, and that I had already kind of pared it down and gotten rid of the songs that uh, I didn't think would fit, and came in prepared with the the songs, uh, you know, written and ready for uh, whatever album we were going to do. So I, I didn't really have to go through uh, the cutting room floor process uh, very often uh, when I was recording. And I'm pretty lucky for that because I know that there's some people who get into real battles, uh, you know, over uh, creativity and and who's got the say. I, I did have uh, one kind of funny uh, altercation with uh, Don Gallucci, who was the producer of uh, Krabby Appleton's first album. He was a, an Electra staff producer. He produced uh, the Stooges, and uh, he had been the keyboard player in uh, the Kingsman, Louie Louie fame. 
and then uh, Don the Good Times and a group called Touch, which was sort of a psychedelic concept album group. Uh, and when we were doing Krabby Appleton's uh, first album with him producing, uh, he and I disagreed about whether Go Back should be on the record because he felt that that was a lighter song and and uh, less sort of deep album cut uh, uh, heavy stuff. Uh, and he felt that it, it was incongruous with the rest of the record. And I felt that Go Back should definitely be on that album because I thought it was going to be our hit single and our you know our key to get through the door. Um, I won that battle, thankfully, and, uh, and sure enough, Go Back uh, was the hit from that record and uh, helped us a lot. Back to uh, Millennium. I played earlier on the show, I played Karmic Dream Sequence, part one, and uh, you said you were a songwriter with and, uh, and, and, and a musician with Millennium. Um, who wrote that song, and, and how much were you able to contribute with Millennium? Well, Karmic uh, Dream Sequence, I think... That one was written by uh, Lee Mallory and Kurt Betcher, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Uh, but I didn't contribute to that song. Oh, okay. uh, There are several songs on the Millennium album that I co-wrote with uh, uh, Jilly Steck, who was a member of the group, and then one that I co-wrote with uh, Kurt Betcher and Lee Mallory. Uh, I had the, the freedom to contribute where my material was uh, uh, concerned, and then contributed some on uh, material that had been written by others. But there, the first song on the uh, on the Millennium albums begin is "To Claudia on Thursday," and uh, that leads off the album right after a, a, a prelude. And uh, that one is one that I co-wrote and sing. And so I like the fact that the first voice you hear when you hear the Millennium is mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, now, that, that, which brings up a point now. All right, so you co-wrote that song, and then earlier, uh, when you and I had a little talk earlier today, we were talking about what what is the inspiration for some of your songs? And then you said, well, personal experiences. So let me guess. Um, Go Back is probably about a girlfriend. Claudia is probably about a girlfriend. And, uh, no, 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 no. No? Actually, Claudia was... To Claudia on Thursday was a song... That Joey Steck and I wrote on a lovely, I think it was a spring day, but it was in Los Angeles where summer, spring, and they all run into uh, to one. Uh, you know, it was a lovely day. We're sitting down on grass, and uh, our producer's wife, uh, Claudia, okay. uh, was pregnant and had the blues. I mean, she was just, you know, in a very down mood. And so he and I sat out there on the grass with the birds a chirping and the smell of uh, uh, jasmine in the air and wrote a song to try and cheer Claudia up. Um, the theme of the song became, it wasn't sort of a direct message because it was uh, almost a love song, but it was about, you know, uh, feeling the grass between your toes and and grooving with nature. Okay. Now you talk about out there in L.A. Now let's. You mentioned earlier Laurel Canyon. Laurel Canyon apparently was real popular because a lot of up and coming musicians, artists used to hang out in that particular area of Los Angeles. So tell us about your experiences with some of the other uh, up and coming you know bands that you used to kind of uh, you know fraternize with back in the day. Well. We we didn't all sort of hang out together. I mean, okay. it wasn't that kind of of 
community that I, I was exposed to. Uh, there were some people whom I knew who were musicians, but lots of people I knew who were not. But it wasn't like a one big happy family of people up in Laurel Canyon. I lived in Laurel Canyon at times. I lived in Beechwood Canyon at times. The canyons were really nice places to live um, up and out of the Hollywood uh, Cementville uh, and where there was more nature, uh, trees, cats and dogs, houses you could rehearse your band in, and uh, and a very nice atmosphere. So the hills were, were the place to live uh, when you lived in Hollywood and you were a musician. So you'd run into your neighbors. Um, my next-door neighbor in Beechwood Canyon at one point uh, was... Ozzy Osbourne. Now, he's not the Ozzy Osbourne that most people think of, but was the uh, bass player in a group called Coven. They had a hit called One Tin Soldier that was the theme from Billy Jack. Oh, really? And uh, the, and the uh, theme of, the, of their records and of uh, their group was a uh, witchcraft thing, which was a little weird. But uh, I made friends with musicians and then friends with people who were not musicians. Uh, one of the best buddies was a photographer who took most of the pictures that one sees of me or the bands I was in, uh, and he went on to become uh, one of the most notable Sports Illustrated photographers. He shot lots of football and Olympics and stuff. Uh, so it wasn't, uh, it wasn't one canyon full of musicians who were all palling around together. It was just the atmosphere uh of Hollywood in the late 60s, early 70s. It was a lovely place to be. Okay. Now tell us how you got to California, because that's kind of an interesting story in itself. You actually hitchhiked out there. So, But what was your inspiration? Because you started playing musical instruments as a child. I did. I, I, I started playing guitar as a little kid and uh, took classical lessons and then uh, you know started putting together bands and so on as a young teenager and writing songs. Um, and when I was 17, uh, the uh, drummer I was working with in my uh, band and I decided that we were going to take off from our homes in New Jersey and run away and uh, head out to Los Angeles. So when we stuck our thumbs out on Route 22 and hitchhiked all the way to uh, Los Angeles, uh, which was quite an adventure. And you were 17? I was. 17. And this is during the... Height of the uh, Vietnam War, uh, the uh, the whole hippie scene, and uh, so what did you expect, and what did you, what were your thoughts when you wound up in L.A.? Well, it didn't take me very long to realize that I'd wound up in exactly the right place. It was paradise. Okay. It was paradise. Uh, the hippie scene was there much more so than it was in the commuter town in New Jersey where I'd come from. Um, there were there were all sorts of things going on. It was very exotic and very enticing. Uh, it was Los Angeles in the uh, mid-60s and late-60s was just kind of paradise. And it was, there was a very sort of laid-back, do-your-own-thing uh, atmosphere. Uh, drugs were uh, popular and prevalent, but... Uh, not in the uh, painful and disastrous way that they escalated into over the years. And so it wasn't, uh, uh, I didn't encounter uh, a lot of serious negative 
uh, situations uh, with all the drugs that were around. Instead, it was mostly a, a pot-fueled haze that was there. Uh, and it was a very uh, friendly, warm environment, and the music scene was all over the place, all over the place. I mean, there were bands playing everywhere, and some of them were amazing, and and people sitting around playing guitars and exchanging stuff. And so it was. there was almost this Hollywood commune of... Uh, music and uh, peace and love, and there were lovings, you know, beings <laughs> where people would all go out in the park and 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 have uh, uh, festivals and play music. Uh, it was it was really paradise. It was an amazing place for me to end up, and I knew I was home. <laughs> Did you uh, have an opportunity to play at any of the notable places? Uh, even kind of hang out at uh, on Sunset Strip there, you know, like Pandora's and uh, and the Whiskey a Go Go, or any of those places. Uh, Pand- when I got there, Pandora's it was right around the time that uh, when I got to Los Angeles, and I was living in a coffee house that was right up the street from Pandora's, a few doors down. Uh-huh. And uh, that was at the time that Pandora's was being closed down, and there was uh, altercations between the hippies and and the kids who had come to the strip and the uh, LAPD and the sheriff. And that, quote, riot on the Sunset Strip thing, that was going on right outside the door of the coffee house I was living in at the time. Wow. Uh, I did play the Whiskey Go-Go a bunch of times. Oh, you did play? Okay. Abby Appleton would play there with some frequency, and then we played Gazaris and and other places around the Strip. Interesting. Who was uh, So who was the house band there back then? I know the Doors were the house band there back in the early days, and uh, so when you were there, it would have been, what, 67, 68? Well, I wasn't playing the whiskey in 67, 68. Oh, okay. I started playing the whiskey uh, in around 70 with Crabby oh. Appleton. Oh, okay. That's uh, right. Yeah, at so. that point, uh, they didn't have a house band, uh, but only had uh, bands coming in, some of whom were pretty notable and others less so. I mean, I saw the first time I saw Yes perform was at the Whiskey and Go Go, uh, which was pretty amazing because I didn't know who they were. And uh, my keyboard player said, let's go see this band. I hear they're pretty good. And I had my mind blown by watching them, uh, you know, I I knew nothing about them. I walked in cold, and they were performing off uh, the Yes album at the time, and I was just stunned. These guys were brilliant. Uh, I saw Humble Pie at the Whiskey. I saw uh, Mike and Tina Turner review at the Whiskey. Uh, And then uh, sometimes bands would come in, uh, who were playing uh, bigger venues, be playing the L.A. Forum or, uh, or whatever, and then might bop into the whiskey and play a set. Okay. Uh, so it was pretty cool. To, and there was also another club called The Experience that uh, opened up, uh, maybe I'm going to say 71 or 2, uh, and some pretty cool uh, bands would come in there. I saw uh, T-Rex when they were a duo playing there. Just two guys sitting on pillows, uh, strumming guitars and warbling. Uh, that was pretty interesting. Did you ever get a chance to play up in the Bay Area? Did you ever come up to San Francisco, our part of the woods, and uh, play up there at any bands? I mean, any uh, venues like the Fillmore or anything like that? Uh, no. I've, I've, I went and saw some shows at the Fillmore, uh, who, Jefferson Airplane, Grateful Dead, uh, but I uh, never played there. I don't think... I don't recall playing San Francisco much. It may be that that was not an area where uh, 
our records were getting a lot of play. Go Back was pretty much the key for Krabby Appleton to play uh, major cities and major halls. I mean, we'd open for Sly and the Family Stone or The Doors or Ten Years After, um, and that that would be in areas where Go Back had been pretty high on the charts. But there'd be other cities where it was not high on the charts at all or wasn't on the radio. And so where it was that we played had everything to do with where it was that record was getting played. Okay, okay. Florida, how was, uh, you played in Florida, I think you said Miami? Uh, played Miami, played uh, uh, in Hollywood, I think. Right. Uh, played a few played a few gigs in Florida. Okay. And those were, uh, I think, uh, big uh, concerts, you know, the 18,000 seat things with, I think Slide was one of them. I don't remember, I can't always put together every act with every city, but uh, we were opening, we'd be an opening act or a second act uh, on a bill with three or four bands. The the uh, top bill would be somebody everybody knew. When you when you guys set up for these bands and uh, I mean these um, you know your your, uh, your your concerts basically, how much rehearsal time did you guys have, or were you just pretty much uh, had the roadies come in, set up the gear, and you already just kind of walked out on stage and knew what you were going to do? It, it would vary. Uh, sometimes there was time for a good sound check, mm-hmm. and uh, often you know if you're really the opening act, you're going to play first, therefore you're going to sound check last, and so. Uh, and so your equipment's still set up after your, after your sound check, ready for when the curtains draw and you open the show. Uh, so uh, the amount of time that we would have to do a sound check and see how everything was working and sounding was relative to how the sound checks went for the other acts before us, because the top bill is going to sound check first and then down the line, and then the you know opening act is going to sound check last. So. It would vary. Sometimes we got no sound check at all, and we'd walk out cold. Other times we get a pretty good run through. Okay, uh, we've got a few minutes left. Let's talk a little bit about life after Krabby Appleton, because you went on to do a solo career. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, well, after Krabby, I did. Um, let's see. In, in 1973, I went over to London and uh, did an album that Chris White produced. Chris White uh, was the bassist and. Uh, one of the writers in the group, The Zombies, and uh, he, and I love The Zombies. I mean, I, that was one of the things like in my, uh, during the British invasion, I thought they were just fantastic. Um, and he pre- he was producing the group Argent. Oh. Rod Argent from The Zombies and, and uh, Bob Henry, Jim Rodford. And uh, when I went over to record with Chris in London, the guys from Argent, uh, backed me up on about half of the songs on that record uh, for the harder rock stuff. And then Chris had this amazing black book of musicians who had played with the Kinks or whomever, and and he would just call them up as needed for the other tracks we were doing. And I worked with so many great guys. I mean, it was amazing. The experience I had in London was really stunning. Uh, At one point I said, told Chris that I wanted to get a lead guitar player to play lead on the one song that I didn't want to play lead on. I wanted someone different. I wanted something kind of fresh and, and not my guitar, because my guitar's all over that Lane Changer album. And uh, he said, well, I could give Jeff Beck a call. Uh-huh. I said, 
said, you're kidding, right? And he said, no, I'll give him a call, see if he's doing it. And so he calls Jeff Beck, and Jeff says, sure, and he comes in and plays lead on the, on the song Watch Yourself on that album, which was kind of stunning. But he'd be sitting there watching Jeff Beck noodling around on his guitar as he's getting ready, and I was like, that was, that was quite an experience for me. Interesting, interesting. And then, uh, and then towards the latter part, what was? Did you do some more songwriting and stuff? And then, uh, and then, well, I did. I, did, you know, I was always writing songs. I okay. always wrote songs. That's I, I wrote songs and sang and played guitar, and that was all I did. Uh, I did another solo album uh, with a band I had backing me, uh, a band I put together in Los Angeles, and uh, that one was produced by Denny Bruce and engineered by Keith Olson. And now Keith Olson had been the co-producer of the Millennium way back when, uh, with along with Kurt Betcher. And then uh, Keith was engineering at uh, Sound City uh, in L.A. and engineered the uh, my second solo album, Stranger's Bed. And that was the last album that he engineered before he went on to merely produce. And he produced uh, a string of of hit albums, including the first Fleetwood Mac album that had Buckingham Knicks with him, and so on. And Keith went on to have this stunning uh, career as a producer. He's a brilliant guy, just brilliant. Excellent. Uh, but he was the engineer for the Strangers Bed album. Um, so I, uh, that was the in '75. But I did that on Mercury, and then thereafter, I was always putting bands together and always uh, playing around and writing songs, uh, but as the music business began to kind of change in L.A., uh, as we're heading into the 80s, it uh, became kind of uh, a stagnant for me, because I really didn't fit into the thing that was going on in L.A. at that time, which was a lot of uh, hair metal bands, uh, and they were all kind of interchangeable. I mean, you could take a guitar player from one and stick them in the other one, and the other band, and you'd never know the difference all the same sort of derivative <clears throat> uh, music coming out of the same look, same sound, same thing. And that took over the city, uh, along with disco, and it was pretty hard to get uh, any attention uh, if you were writing songs that were more sort of your own personal evolution as a singer-songwriter who had gone through. And you know, I wasn't just starting out. I had been... Uh, writing songs and they be, and developing what became my music over a long period of time and I wasn't about to abandon that in order to try and fit in with the, some sort of a new trend Michael we are out of time I want to thank you very much real quick if somebody wants to find out they just go to Michael Finley Facebook and they can find out uh, follow up on some of your music and stuff the music of Michael Fennelly is the name of my Facebook music page. Okay. Well, Michael, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I know we're right up against the clock. Again, we will stay in touch. Probably have you on the show again sometime in the future. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars and our special guest, Michael Finley from Krabby Appleton. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love family. Love your family. We'll see you at some of the car shows. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.